The epistle is from 1 John chapter 4. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 16th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Confess our faith according to the Nicene Creed. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. It's hard to imagine that someone could be so callous, that someone could be so unfeeling and insensitive as that rich man who feasted sumptuously, dressed in his purple and his fine linen. Meanwhile, Lazarus sat at his gate, hungry, destitute, hoping just for some crumbs to fall from the rich man's table, covered in sores, receiving mercy only from the dogs who licked his wounds. It's hard to imagine that somebody could be so callous, so unloving, so selfish. I think it's helpful to think about it in a little bit more detail, that there are a couple of ways that this can happen, that a situation like this can arise. I think it has to do with a person's eyes 
and a person's heart. In the first place, a person like this rich man could have bad eyes. He could not see, perhaps, Lazarus, the poor man sitting at his gate. His eyes, perhaps, were so fixed on himself, on his own needs and his own desires, that day by day he went in and out and never noticed, never marked that Lazarus was sitting there in such desperate need. When your eyes are fixed inward on yourself, you simply do not see the need that is around you. It may also have been a problem in his heart, and this is perhaps worse. Seeing need and ignoring it. Feeling no compassion in his heart, doing nothing, not wanting to get his hands dirty, not wanting to bother himself, not wanting to change his plans or adapt, not wanting to give up the things that he had. This is one of the biggest differences between, it's profound, but it's like a gap, a chasm, the difference between heaven and hell, the difference between Jesus and the likes of us. Whenever Jesus sees need, which he always sees, he is always moved to compassion. His heart is always moved to compassion. But not this rich man. Either he didn't see the need of this poor fellow, or seeing the need, he just ignored it. It's a bad, terrible situation that they're in. It's hard for us to imagine it, I think, because we're not confronted by these kinds of situations in our day-to-day life. I don't think that any of you has a beggar sitting outside your gate. I don't know if any of you has a gate, even, outside of which a beggar could sit. I don't know that we see this kind of situation in our day-to-day life, and so it's hard for us to imagine that it could ever happen. There's another story that Jesus tells which perhaps hits a little closer to home. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. There you have the fellow who was abused by robbers. They took everything that he had and left him for dead on the side of the road. And the priest and the Levite, seeing him there, walked by on the other side of the road. They had things to do. They didn't want to be dirtied in helping this man. Maybe the robbers that attacked him were still there. Maybe it was dangerous. Maybe they just didn't care. But they saw his need and they just walked by on the other side of the road. I think those are situations we often find ourselves in where We're not confronted with it in our day-to-day life, but we see need, and it's easier for us to focus on something else, to keep going in the direction that we're going. This behavior, this lack of compassion that the rich man has lurks in our hearts as well. Whether we've got bad eyes or a bad heart, our human nature, our sinful human nature, is the same nature that that rich man had. And so it is good for us to pray. And when you pray, pray for eyes that see need around you, eyes that are open to the needs of your neighbors. And pray that your heart will feel compassion when you see that need, so that this kind of a situation doesn't arise in your life. It's a terrible situation that they found themselves in, and it grows even worse as the story goes on, because, of course, both died. The rich man and Lazarus died. The rich man was buried and went to Hades, to hell, and the poor man, Lazarus, went to heaven, to the bosom of Abraham. Now, it's important to note here that although we've been talking about riches and poverty so far in this story, the rich man does not go to hell because he is rich. And the poor man does not go to heaven because he is poor. Heaven and hell are determined by faith. The one who believes receives the gift of eternal life. The one who trusts in Jesus receives the gift of eternal life, whether you are rich or poor. But the point of this parable is that riches make a difference. Riches and poverty matter, and they matter at least in a couple of ways. One is that what you do with your riches 
What you do with your possessions, your stuff, reveals what's in your heart. So we can't see that rich man's heart except by what he does with his riches, going day by day and ignoring poor Lazarus. What he does with his riches reveals what's in his heart. But riches matter in another way as well. You remember this, what Jesus says about the rich man. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. That strikes us to the, car, to the heart because, of course, money is a good thing, and we would all love to have more money, of course, right? But Jesus says that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. The disciples are as shocked by this as you and I would be. Who then can be saved, they say. With man, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Why is it so hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven? Well, if you have lots of stuff, if you've acquired lots of possessions, lots of wealth, if your life is good and easy, you begin to think that you don't need God. You begin to think that you've made your own way. And so in a very striking manner, this thing that the world would call a blessing, wealth, possessions, money, comfort, that thing that the world would call a blessing is in fact a curse, Jesus says, because it draws your heart away from God. Meanwhile, Jesus says that the poor, the poor are the ones who are blessed. Blessed are the poor. It's the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor. Why? Because those in poverty can see as clear as day their desperate need. They have no delusions about being able to make it in this life on their own. They have no delusions about their ability to supply their needs, much less their desires. And so it is easier for them to see God's provision. Of course, there are sins that are peculiar to poverty, things like despair or greed or envy or dishonesty or theft. But in the big scheme of things, what Jesus shows us is that riches are our greatest danger. Money corrupts. And this is one of the warnings that this lesson gives us. Riches matter. The irony, however, is that when the rich man found himself in Hades, he quickly realized that although he thought he was rich in this life, he was actually desperately poor. He thought he was rich not only in his possessions, everything that he had accumulated for himself, but also in his family. Did you notice that? Even as he's burning in hell, he's thinking about his five brothers. He had a good family. He was rich in wealth and possessions and rich in family, and yet he finds out that those things count for nothing on the last day. That's shocking, isn't it? The things that the world counts to be good even the high and noble and valuable things like family count for nothing on the last day. He discovers the futility of his riches. The rich man discovers that everything he's worked for, all of his effort and energy, was for nothing. It couldn't spare him on the last day. In fact, those things can be a hindrance. Those things can be a hindrance on the last day because imagine the situation. Everything's gone well in life, and you find yourself standing before God's judgment seat, and you say, I'm doing great. Everything's been good for me. Why should I have anything to worry about? Those kinds of things can be a hindrance. I want you to see all of this, the difference between riches that this world praises and the riches that God praises. I want you to see all that because it's important for you to know how rich you are. Whether or not you have material possessions, whether or not you 
are wealthy like the rich man or poor like Lazarus. I can say for a fact that you are the richest people in the world because of what you possess by faith. This is what John said in our epistle lesson. He said, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. There is no greater treasure possible than knowing the love that God has for you in Christ Jesus. It is so much better than anything you can imagine in this world. It's like night and day. It's the difference between heaven and hell. The blood of Jesus poured out for you on the cross, covering all your sins, giving you eternal life. That is the greatest treasure, and it makes you richer than Bill Gates, richer than George Soros, richer than any person in the world. You are truly rich. You have been saved from futility, from living for things that don't matter, from living for things that will go away in the end. You've been saved from that. You know and believe the love that God has for you in Christ Jesus. And look at what else John says you possess on account of that love. He says you have confidence. You can have confidence in the day of judgment. That's something the rich man couldn't have, right? He thought he could be confident, but he found himself standing exposed with all his sins before God and nothing to hide him. But you can be confident on the day of judgment because you have Christ's blood to cover all your sins. You have nothing to fear because there is no punishment for you in Christ. Look at all the treasures you have. You are truly rich. That's important for you to know because it's important for faith. And it's important for understanding the world you live in. For while you are rich, the world around you is desperately poor. Not in the way that Lazarus was poor, not lacking in material things, but spiritually poor. Poor the way the rich man was. In the first place, simply because the world does not know the love that God has for it in Christ Jesus. The world does not know the story of Christ taking on human flesh, humbling himself, being born of a virgin, growing up and dying on the cross to forgive all your sins. The world does not know, and in not knowing, that ignorance is the worst kind of poverty. The world is poor. And the world carries on living for these futile things, these things that will go away, these treasures that will disappear and count for nothing on the last day, even the really good things like family. The world carries on driving after those things, not knowing that what counts in the end is faith. What counts in the end is trust in God's goodness. It's kind of like this. It's a great illustration, as a matter of fact, the situation with the rich man and Lazarus. The world is poor like Lazarus was, poor spiritually. And what comfort is there for Lazarus? Nothing but the dogs licking his wounds. That's the kind of comfort the world seeks in its spiritual poverty. That is no comfort at all. It's a desperate situation. The world is desperately poor. I want you to see all of that. I want you to see how rich you are and how poor the world is so that when you think about praying for compassion, for eyes to see need and hearts that feel compassion, you understand that we're not just talking about material things, but we're especially talking about spiritual things. We ought to show mercy to the world around us, spiritually as well as materially. That begins simply by recognizing how rich you are. You are like that rich man sitting at a lavish feast week after week, eating and drinking Christ's body and blood day after day, hearing the words of forgiveness, obtaining that knowledge that brings you salvation. You have it in abundance. It is as easy for you to share in God's riches with your neighbor as it would have been for that rich man to toss a loaf of bread 
to Lazarus and feed him for a week. You are so rich. Be grateful. Thank God that he has shown mercy to you. In our effort to show mercy, we need to repent. Repenting of all of the times that we have seen our neighbor in need, in spiritual need, and not helped him, not shown him the way to the cross, not shown him the way to forgiveness and salvation, either because we have eyes that don't see the need or hearts that don't feel compassion. This is, I think, one of the things that really happens in our world where we are so comfortable, where we have such material comfort. When things look like they're going okay, when everybody seems like they're getting along and doing well, it is very hard for us to see spiritual need. For the times that we've done that, where we have overlooked it or not helped, we ought to repent. And we ought to pray that God would give us eyes to see need and hearts that feel compassion. And then, knowing your riches, knowing your riches in Christ, we should go to work. And that begins, of course, very simply with prayer. Every work that is begun without prayer is a work that is in vain. And so, pray. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for your family. Pray for people you know who do not know Christ. Pray for them because they are poor and you are rich. In your prayers, you are not just sending up nice thoughts to heaven, but you are actually distributing God's riches to the people for whom you pray. What a gift that is, that simply by calling on God's name, you share God's riches with the people around you. So be busy in prayer. When you see need, when you see spiritual need, pray and believe God. Believe that the love with which you love your neighbors is not your own love. The mercy that you show to your neighbors is not your own mercy. It's God's mercy. The forgiveness that you can share with your neighbors is not your own forgiveness, but God's forgiveness. Just as that rich man sitting at his table, if he had understood how things worked, he would have known that giving a loaf of bread to Lazarus would have been giving God's bread to Lazarus. Everything he'd received, he received from God. All he was doing was sharing what God had already given to him. It is the very same thing with you. Believe God. You know and believe the love that you have from God in Christ Jesus. It's his love. Share it with your neighbors. Share it with your friends. Share it with your family. Go to work. Be busy in showing mercy. And rejoice. Because God has called you to share in his work of showing compassion to the world. Think about what a stunning thing that is. You're like his emissary. He's, get, he's written you a blank check that you can apply in this world everywhere that it's needed. That blank check is Christ's blood, which covers the whole world. You are participants in Christ's work of mercy. Rejoice. Thank God that he has loved you and called you to do this holy and gracious work, ministering to the world in mercy. And come back here often and return regularly to God's word so that you can be strengthened and encouraged in this holy work that God has given you to do. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.